the whole world feels different. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So, um, we're back. By the way, did you see that um, Pearl Jam documentary? It's just it, like I haven't seen it. Is it the PJ twenty one that people were talking about? No, I have ago? that. You can borrow that if you want. It's great. No, it was two nights. Two nights at Wrigley Field, recorded last year. They played Wrigley Field hmm. two nights in a row about a month or so before the Cubs won the World Series. And, and Eddie Vedder is like a huge, lifelong Cubs fan. Really? Yes. And I mean, he's been going to the games for, for years, and um, he's got a little song about it. About about the Cubs, it's freaking great it, uh, documentary. Plus, I mean, you know, I can't help it. I just love Pearl Jam so. Do much. you love Pearl Jam? I do. I love Pearl Jam. Because I've so always good. I've always had like an appreciation for Pearl Jam, but I was never one of those people that could love Pearl Jam. Oh, I, that was like that was my first probably band crush, where I was like, no, everything they make. <laughs> there was a kind of. My my perspective was like the people who really crushed on Pearl Jam were like moody, into creative writing classes, um, like, like me. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Maybe not like quite so on the uh, on the on the fringe that they had to they had to make their own anarchy music because everything was mainstream. Like Pearl Jam was like. It was mainstream, but it wasn't in the mainstream. They were speaking to something else. And so it did kind of appeal to people who, like, appreciated well-crafted music and, I don't know, poetry or something like that. I guess so. Just moody. I guess so. I mean, Jeremy's spoken. I know. Well, think about all those songs. I mean, and all the horrible things that have happened around gun violence. I mean, that song is 20 more years old. Um, they have a lot of like sort of cryptic comment. There's like, it's kind of a cryptic commentary on the, uh, on the American lifestyle, the fabric of American culture that seems to be a little bit ahead of their time. I'm not trying to exaggerate too much, like they're yeah. prophets or something, but that song gun violence in a classroom, you know. I mean, I could probably go down the list of other sort of culturally aware. Back before it was happening every week. Exactly. Yeah. This is, I don't remember the exact quote, but I will paraphrase something that I heard in a lecture by Ramdas where he talks about um, the rampant egotism of people like Donald Trump and the wealthy getting wealthier, but the poor staying poor and the environment not being appreciated and gun violence in schools. And the lecture I was listening to was recorded in 1995, yeah. which it kind of has an eerie quality when someone says Donald Trump, like in from 95. 20 from 95 yeah. and, and it's like, Oh God, like that didn't, we didn't move away from that. Like we plunged. Yeah. <laughs> we literally, <laughs> Created well, him. He, we turned him into our president. Yeah, he became an icon before he was the president. And yeah, we but followed then we elevated that path. It. Yeah, we followed that path. And I say we. I think we elected Donald Trump. Yes. Even I the ones who agree. did not vote for him. 
we, we, the last time we talked, Donald Trump was not in office, and there was kind of, I remember we mentioned something that was kind of like, ugh, isn't this kind of gross, this thing? Mm. And now it's like, I don't know. It feels like every day is living in a different kind of world. Mm. Um, not different, I don't know how to describe it. Everything just has like a, like there's like a, like a, like a sort of like a crackling energy kind of in the air, it feels like. Like there's a tension there. People are on edge. Mm. You have this kind of like what feels like this really destabilizing force, which some people are in love with and other people, it just feels like, you know, every single day is a torpedo to their ship of their life. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to even know what he's up to because the, the tweeting is just like a massive distraction. That's what that's how this it strikes is, me. Like it, it, we we are constantly having conversations about insensitive tweets, and at least the news, mainstream news media can't go underneath that. What what is happening? Like what what policies are being made or unmade, and what are the implications of that? Because the second someone tries to even walk in that direction, up yeah. comes another tweet about you know someone won't won't thank me for getting him out of jail or whatever i don't know i mean this, just this is the presidency i mean obama fundraised using social media but this is a different thing this is i think feel like what marshall McLuhan talks about when he talks about it's not the content of information uh, that is, that's important but the speed at which it moves and this is the president that communicates at light speed with the world unfiltered the difference is when you can hear, you can hear the, you can hear almost like the internal monologue of, let's just say at least a massive ego that wields so much power as it's happening. Mm -hmm. And it's all the thoughts that you wouldn't ever get to hear even 10 or 20 years ago. You know, if you, if, if the, if a president was having, let's say a weekly radio show, it was far more scripted. It was thought through. Even the person, the the the, the president himself, would have had to um, think twice, you know, in just the interim of waiting to do the program. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Twitter president right now is like you. It's just, it's it's like being able to see behind the curtain of like what's really going on in the mind of somebody who wields an enormous amount of power, and it's terrifying. Yeah, well, I think it's also a, a massive mirror. I mean, I'm not the only one saying this, but it, mirroring back to us sometimes thoughts that we have that have a hard time surfacing. And that's what makes mm -hmm. it kind of alarming. And so I have a, I have a kind of a question that I thought it might be fun to see if this goes anywhere. Uh, how did you participate in creating Trump? <laughs> How did I participate in creating Trump? Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't know. That's a complex, that's a complex question because, you know, I, probably my initial reaction is I didn't do this. Right. It was them. <laughs> yeah, it was them. It was those people. Um, I mean, you could take it real practically. My lack of political involvement, period. Um, so I didn't, the very small mechanisms, voting and, um, you know, getting involved in politically oriented causes have never really 
attracted me. I've not done anything. So you could blame me for that. I could say, well, um, you know, how else? I think of it. I think of it more like how I, um, I participated in kind of like the NPR, um, Huffington Post, the like almost like the squashing, the squashing of people's voices. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and and my own relatives and the 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 self righteous yep. indignation whenever somebody um, didn't want to expand immigration or didn't want to you know accept LGBT people you know in, in some sort of like legal way mm-hmm. uh, status like that kind of self righteous like you're not allowed to think those things and say those things. I definitely participated that, you know, in some extent, I definitely saw people that participate still, I think even have gotten even more extreme, like, Mm -hmm. like they're just as violent in their communication, um, online, you know, as they are, I I participated in stop in the stop and no longer listening. Mm. Yeah. Me too. And actually worse than that, I think I just assumed the arc of history was by was bypassing this blip of bigotry or small-minded thinking and you know we just had eight years of an african-american president and look it's very clear this is where we're going you can rise up and say but you know and that i mean i you know the huffington post the day before the election I think it was one one they gave Trump something like one point three percent chance of winning, and I believed that. I yeah. read that, and yeah. I thought everybody did. Everybody I think Trump believed it. Yeah. He seemed shocked the ninety one. I know. Um, so yeah, I I participated in and actually in an economic system. Um, I mean, because all of the media that I consumed is its own little economic engine, mm-hmm. and here I am in a in an isolated bubble reading what i want to read and you know turning my nose up at at ideas and voices that i just thought were too fringe and irrelevant you know actually there's a parallel too because when i was at when i was at mars hill as a pastor i kind of thought the trajectory of this place is toward inclusion a progressive um, expression of faith mm-hmm. or even post-Christian in a way because I took a look at the leaders and the <laughs> um, Rob before me and and kind of those, I don't know if I would call it in my inner circle, but the voices that I kind of agreed with mm-hmm. and that's kind of where we're, it's pretty obvious that's where we're headed, but it turns out... Um, I was, uh, there was a kind of a bubble there too. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we've, we silent, we participated for years in silencing things that I don't know what you would call them. Maybe just call them conservative or call them, uh, you know, old school or, you know, stodgy or, um, white bread, you know, (laughs) or stuck in the past, but we, we did achieve silencing 
a lot of that so that people didn't feel safe to talk about it. So it did start to seem like, well, the people who are really open and expressive must be resonating with everyone mm -hmm. around, not realizing it was just, and now there's, I mean, and it's not just here, but you start to see it globally, like with Brexit and these things going on around the world, like there's kind of like been an opening of like, no, now we are going to talk. I, that's, I think maybe also what I think about when I think about how do we create Trump, it's almost like there was a collective shadow. When I say collective shadow, I mean, almost like a, like a, like a, like in this time, like for people who are alive now, like there's a shadow figure and it's all of the voices that we've been suppressing, you know, in favor of being like progressive or yeah. accepting. And yet, so for instance, you know, my grandfather from North Carolina would use the N word. So we called him a racist, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and we would say, you know, you're not allowed to say that, um, which always made us feel like we clearly were not racist, right? But then you look at like, so in I'm 40 years old, in the 40 years that we've been saying to people like him, don't use that word and don't talk about people of color that way, has there been any sort of economic justice or educational justice, or, you know, these things that have really moved forward. And it's like, you, you look back at what was being protested in the civil rights, and it's the same stuff that's being protested now, like mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter, um, you know, why can't we participate in the economy at the level that everyone else seems to get to, especially, you know, white people. Um, we've, and that that's why I start to think like, there's something to people who are, who would call themselves progressive, which is like kind of lurks in the shadow. And that's that you're, you might have opinions that sound like you're rebelling from your parents, but you haven't actually changed the things that were going on. The system hasn't changed. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe your worldview really hasn't changed all that much. I mean, I think Ken Wilburn his new book, something like Trump and, um, Trump in, in a post-truth world or something like yeah. that. Uh, he, he, interestingly enough, puts a lot of the blame on green, progressive people. Yeah. I rather, rather than where you would think he would put the blame, which is, you know, let's put it down in, uh, in these other lower level memes in his sort of tiered levels of consciousness. But he says, no, let's blame, let's blame the progressive, what he calls the mean green level, because there's a, there's a great irony sitting in the middle of it, which is, um, if we went around saying people like me went around saying all perspectives are of equal value, mm -hmm. which is another way of saying there's no hierarchical value system, right. which is another way of saying truth is totally flat, except mm -hmm. it comes and smacks us in the face because now all of a sudden people are like, well, actually, no, uh, uh, overt racism is wrong. Well, right. I, I thought it was a value free. Your truth is your yeah. truth is your truth. And my truth is my <laughs> truth. And now we don't want that all of a sudden, you know, and, and he says that the, um, like Trump supporters for, for example, uh, are those in the right more conservative or let's call them traditional minded people smelled that from a million miles away. Yeah. And they said, we don't want to live in that world. We, 
Uh, and, and if you take maybe people from an older generation who fought in Vietnam or, or the few that are left there fought, fought in World War II, they said, no, 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 some political value systems are of a lower order and yeah. ours is better. And yeah. there are some things worth fighting for. So um, anyway, I just think that's so interesting because you can't, and, and I, you know, I take some responsibility for that, just flattening the world of truth out to um, a kind of private, privatized uh, flatland. Yeah. And it's just, it, it, that's probably in part what put Trump in the White House. Well, and People that's why he's so compelling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think that's why, you know, like we said earlier, his supporters almost see it as like tongue in cheek. Mm -hmm. Like, well, he's living his, you know, he's living they may, his they may not say it out yeah, loud, yeah, but yeah. they're kind of like, well, what? He doesn't get to live his truth. Everybody yeah. else gets to live their yeah. truth as long as as long as we, ex, you know, and the as long as it's acceptable to yeah. NPR and progressives. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the funny thing about alternative facts is that um, the more you go around saying there are there's such a thing as alternative facts, you, you even inside you feel like, well, wait a minute. What are the facts? Yeah. And that's part of the postmodern milieu anyway. Yeah. Like, what is a fact? Right. And then it's, just so, it's so funny that progressive people will say, you can't go around having alternative facts. Wait a minute, we've been living inside a postmodern worldview that is suspect around the very word fact. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we, don't, we can't play that game anymore. We're like, no, no, no. Well, that, that thing over there doesn't count. That kind yeah. of. And I, can, I think that's why I'm wondering if that's where this goes, like, you know, so in the time that we have not sat down and recorded any of these, we've gone on a few of these uh, weekend trips that you've been leading mm -hmm. into the wilderness. And there's something that happens in there where it's just a totally different, I keep calling it like a radio station. You know, it's like having to live in this world is like listening to this one. And now in the past year, especially, it's gotten so, um, I don't know, noisy and staticky. Uh, and it's always coming that when you go into the wilderness, it's like you realize there's a dozen or two dozen or a hundred mm -hmm. different stations to tune into. And there's a feeling of being human again and hearing from yourself and hearing from something that's coming from, you know, like a really probably a quiet, soulful place that is drowned out mm -hmm. in the everyday. There's all those... There's all those things that I'm wondering if that's where it's just more speculating. I'm wondering if that's where, if, if some of this noise that we're living in as it gets louder and louder and louder is driving us into some more ancient spaces mm -hmm. because we're not getting it through the spiritual institutions that we've created. Actually radio frequency is a good way of putting it. And this is like, if there's like a, I mean, if, Human beings are human beings. Americans are Americans. Liberal, conservative, rural, city. Um, and they, that's what having a spirituality or spiritual practice is, is the ability to change the radio dial to more human, ancient, natural ways of being a human being. And that's, what the, that's the problem with mainstream pop culture which is now mm. pop politics, is that it mm -hmm. takes up all the space and it hooks us in ways that we're very vulnerable, meaning in our own ego ways, and by dividing the world up. That's the mm -hmm. ego loves nothing more than to say, it, in, than to live in categories. 
big ones like good, bad, mm -hmm. moral, immoral, uh, racist, not racist, you know, and, and as soon as you're listening to that radio dial, that's where all your energy goes. Mm -hmm. And it's like so addictive, which is why I, you know, I'll wake up in the morning and, and I will, I will seriously wonder what's going to happen when I open my computer screen and check CNN yeah. or whatever news source, like what is the latest drama? And in a way, if I'm, if I'm terribly honest, I almost want there to be something yeah. because then I'm like, damn it. See, this guy is insane, you know, but I get so disappointed if I've scrolled, you know, in that news, in my news app, like if I have to hit scroll more than like three or four times with my thumb and I don't see anything. Yeah. I was like, come on. I mean, I've been, I've been used to seeing something pretty salacious every morning yeah. for a while. And if that becomes our only mode of being, I mean, then the world, of course, becomes more and more divisive and destructive and and you continue to feel more and more powerless. I think those are the two choices. That comes back to Ken Wilber. He says, we live in an age where most people bend toward narcissism or nihilism, and sometimes they swing back and forth. And Trump is a major shadow figure, I mean, collective shadow of our own narcissism. Mm -hmm. What if we make the world just about, you know, what can I get out of this? Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna do it my way. And narcissism in all of its darkness is in us. Mm -hmm. Um, and the other extreme is maybe like the Gen X in me, which is like, we're all screwed. Mm -hmm. The environment is effed. And that's what can any of us do about this? Nothing, yeah. nothing. And then, you know, so, you know, what other way? So you of, just check out. You just check that's out. That's the hardest thing is the, is the checking out. Um, how, how, to, how to be engaged and non-attached. At the same time, I think maybe that's maybe that's where some of this is going. When I talk about going into the wilderness, it's not it doesn't have to be going into the wilderness. I mean, I think a lot of people find solace in things like yoga. You know, I, it's just sort of people trying to find you know dial into those different radio stations. But it's that how can I how can I become non attached to what's going on on the like the loudest station yeah, that I'm living right. in and still engage because. The temptation is to be completely without hope or to allow your entire psyche to be hijacked yeah. by just what you think is happening out there. And nature, uh, you know, this is, I mean, nature is cyclical. We are nature. So our most innate deep patterns are cyclical, meaning seasonal. Things come, come and go, things rise up, things pass away. And that's what's so unnatural about the news cycle. It's mm -hmm. just like a machine, an, mm -hmm. an, an industrial growth machine that is trucking at five million miles an hour, barreling over anything. And it's, it's like that ticker at the bottom of the screen, you know? It's actually 299,000 kilometers per I second. I can't even watch, I can't even pay attention to whatever they're saying on the news because I'm looking at, at what is the latest, what is the latest coming across the bottom of the screen. Yeah. And that is like, about as unnatural as you can be. And, and if human beings in their own, their own capacity for creative solutions and alternatives uh, need, need times when the soil lies fallow, you know, um, that's why basically, that's one reason why I take people out into the woods, you know? 
That's why I go out into the woods. I mean, you have to allow your psyche and your soul and your body and your heart to connect with what's real. Mm. And that's what seems so insane about an, a, a kind of collective addiction, which is what it is, to social media and mm -hmm. to our phones. And there's absolutely, it doesn't seem, there's very little uh, nature in it in, and in terms of its cyclical. And it's also, I'm thinking, I keep having this image of like, um, like Mad Men, you know, the show, like sort of how it captured the essence of an era. Mm -hmm. And you think about like the guy leaving the ad agency and getting on the train to go out to the suburbs and all he has is like a briefcase and a newspaper and his assistant was, you know, works in the office and she needs to type up his letters and, um, you know, there's no phone you have to go to like you know you're in a restaurant and the waiter comes and like you're receiving a call um and just wonder if and and also that world was um one in which you didn't necessarily see what was happening five miles away in another neighborhood with a bunch of people that aren't like you um as if they weren't in the newspaper they weren't there um and you just think about sort of like the pace at which that world moved and the way the information traveled and how people got work done. Like you wonder, like, how would they ever get work done? Like putting something in a little envelope and having a human being like take it over to an office building, getting the response, bringing it back. Like that was an email. <laughs> um, and but you, I wonder if like the pace at which that world moved and the way that the information flowed, if it almost like was able to. It's almost like you could have a more traditional church type experience because of the stability of it. Everything was kind of like at a, a nice, like slow paced mediumness, if that makes sense. You know, you had yeah. spaces, like you had time to reflect, but then you also had things that you weren't aware of. Like you weren't getting a video of an unarmed black man being shot, you know, and bleeding out on your Facebook yeah. profile on a Sunday morning. Right. Um, yeah, human beings, I mean, I don't think we've evolved to, to be in community like we're experienced. I'm not saying it's real community, but, you know, like some, some statistic, I think I heard this from Russell Brand. He, I think over a hundred, this is what anthropologists say, and communities tend to split. In other words, the human mm -hmm. brain can only take about 75 people into its orbit of relationship and have it be meaningful. Mm -hmm. And what you're describing is like how, yes, okay, so an unarmed black teenager shot by a, by a cop in Montana, what, where does that fit mm -hmm. in my area of concern and why, how, and, and it's coming to me instantaneously. I can know about it 20 minutes after the event. Mm -hmm. Same with, I can also know that my high school, you know, friend just did a, just got, you know, 30 inches of snow at Vail, you mm -hmm. know, and is like ripping some sweet runs, you know, and that, that I'm Or your ex-girlfriend's to... on a yacht in Monaco. <laughs> <laughs> None of my ex-girlfriends. <laughs> Vail, yes, my high school friends are at Vail. No, I mean, but, but what it and that that like leads me back to a kind of like narcissism or nihilism. Like, what how, what are you supposed to do? 
-hmm. How are you supposed to? I just get in my car and I go to work after the teenager's been shot by, you know, policemen. And then you're confronted with yourself. What does that make me? <laughs> yeah, what, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, what does that make me if I can just switch it off and then go to work and pretend you like it didn't to. happen? But you have to switch it off. But it feels terrible to. So then you go and, you know, pop in a sentence on Facebook. Exactly. As if that's like, you're that like, just lit the world on fire. That's causing a big I systemic know. change. I do it too. Like, I, I, I've been following, like, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not like a political activist or whatever, but I've been following a little bit through Outside Magazine, what's going on with public lands and like Bears Ear National Monument and these places that Trump apparently wants to open up to gas and oil exploration, which I, I personally don't support. Um, once a wild place is not, not so wild, it takes many, many, many decades or centuries to return to its, uh, I don't know, maybe never, maybe it never recovers. But anyway, um, yeah, and I hear about something and then I just, I repost something, I post an article on it, um, check out what the Washington Post says about, and that's my involvement. Mm -hmm. That's my involvement. I, and maybe even I, like I sent a letter to my senator and congressman over these things, but what is, and that, those are all sort of prefabbed campaigns that have come to me through my Facebook feed around people that I like. <laughs> yeah. Here's one way you can help. And it does feel like you're doing something, sort of. Then, then something else in your psyche is saying, this is meaningless. This yeah. is meaningless. It feels almost like we have to be given, we have to start giving each other permission to only care about two or three things. Yeah. And then yeah, everything else is like, that's good information to have. I hate that that's happening in the world, but I'm really devoting my time and my energy in life to these two or three things. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to just repost stuff about two dozen different topics on Facebook, pretending like I care about all of them because I can't care about all of them. Yeah. I'd rather, I, for my own soul, I need to go deep into a couple of things yeah. and make, and really make that my, my work because being asked to care about all of it is I think driving some people insane. It has other people like, you know, their narcissistic side going berserk because they think they actually can care about everything. And then it's got maybe some people just, just depressed because it's like, I can't make a difference. Yeah. I really don't know how, you know, to do this. Joanna Macy, she has this. Okay. So Joanna, Joanna Macy is a political activist, um, slash Buddhist philosopher. And she, for years has been involved in nuclear disarmament and protesting uh, nuclear power plants, largely based around waste um, and saying we're basically putting things into the ground that we're, our great grandkids are going to live with the poison of. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, not, it's, <laughs> it's not out of sight, out of mind, you know, it's, it will come back and wreak havoc. So anyway, what she learned from decades of working with activists. It, so she has four cycles and she says everyone, and, and they're based on the natural flow of the universe itself, mm -hmm. sort of rooted, grow, like a, you know, rooted somewhere, growing up in something and those seeds being released like a flat, like a dandelion. Okay. So she says the way her way she would describe it is that, um, the invitation is always to begin in gratitude which is 
kind of an interesting um, slap in the face culturally to even to, you know, to my current state, because I want to be angry at Trump or whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. it's when, in fact, I have like an enormous amount to be grateful for. So she says it begins in gratitude. So you have to touch upon this. And sometimes it's very hard. Mm -hmm. But what about my own life? about my own health, about my own family, about my own, about the geography, the physical place that I inhabit, can I touch upon gratitude somewhere? She says, that's where it has to start. And she, but then she says, the moment you do that, you begin to feel the pain of the world. It has this double effect. It's not like this kind of like um, pop psychology, just like, just living in an optimistic, you know, grateful gratitude, you know, Joel Osteen, put a smile on it. God is good, you know, this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. The moment you, you touch upon those roots, then you feel the pain of the world. And I think um, what you're describing, sort of like one or two things, mm -hmm. that's where you start to become a detective for your own, the way your own soul is bent. Mm. And if you feel the pain of a particular situation, um, injustice, uh, then that's the place to camp out in for a while, to let it hurt and find out why it hurts. And then, well, just to finish the cycle, yeah, yeah. Um, the next part is seeing with new eyes. So if you, if you find some gratitude to touch upon, you're able to feel the pain of the world, then you automatically begin to see things you wouldn't have seen before. That pain is the opener. Like, oh, I didn't know people were treated this way. Or, oh, I didn't realize um, that when I bought these shoes from Wolverine Worldwide in Rockford, where I grew up, they were putting poison into the ground legally mm -hmm. and illegally that affected my own drinking water. I didn't realize, I didn't realize. That's like seeing, but you have to touch upon the that, that it hurt, that it mm -hmm. hurt someone, that someone got cancer because of this. And then you start, seeing with new eyes wait do i have to shop this way and then the the final stage is going forth just right. decide as opposed what to the, the bypass which is just just start telling grandpa he's bad for shopping and buying his boots <laughs> exactly grandpa you know you which really is, which is how you life. create trump exactly because everybody loves that he does not give a shit about that stuff yeah and he loves to call it out and they love hearing it called out by the most powerful person in the world yeah it yeah. was almost like i was i had this thought of like like Trump is kind of almost like the he's becoming the archetype for the person who cares about everything and you can't predict what he's going to care about. Right. Because yeah. as soon as he sees something that bugs him, it's like, beep, beep, you know, yeah. tweets. And you could look at that as like almost like a personal check of like, am I also one of those people that's exactly. trying to care about everything? And yet I'm doing it's a massive nothing. mirror. It's a massive mirror. How dare he tweet about that as I tweet about him tweeting about that. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it's the ironies are just too rich, which actually I think it what we need. And maybe this is just because these are the things that I'm I care about. and I'm trying to, you know, project them onto everyone else. But we need a spiritual revolution where there's a kind of I don't even know what I mean by that. But some it what we begin to do is sink into the area of the heart of the soul of yeah. our value system, of our own spirituality, of, um, I mean, talk about oh, what I was going to say about um, rural versus uh, urban. 
I think until urban people can feel, honor the pain of what it's like to live in, mm -hmm. in the rural South, in the rural Midwest, um, and just how hard it is to make it now, mm -hmm. and that, that until we can see that as painful, because I think urban people think, how dare they complain about their, you know, Pastoral yeah, lives pastoral. with all of their sheep and their horses exactly. or uh, I mean, whatever projection. It is, it's, I mean, we, you look at, you stand in the middle of Manhattan and you see that the economic engine is on, you know, every single billboard and flashing light. Well, yeah. the same exists in rural middle America mm -hmm. when you have corporations that own seeds, mm -hmm. you know, and until until there's like a general acknowledgement that life, even in America, mm -hmm. hurts many different kinds of people, then I think the temptation is just to continue to divide up between I'm right and you're wrong and, mm -hmm. and I don't know. So many times I've been in a situation where I can physically, I'm physically in a situation where I can see wealth in front of me, all around me, that I will never attain in this lifetime. And it's an emotional feeling. It's it's a it's it's a it's something that that has to be wrestled with. It's almost like you know, it's almost like a like a yoga posture that does that hurts really bad to get into. Mm -hmm. um, because there's kind of this there's a real strong urge to get into a hopelessness of like, wow. I mean, I I mean, I thought I was doing okay, but whoa, yeah. and I will never ever 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 get anywhere close to this. And I'm, you think about that, like on a scale for so many, many millions of people that. And we've elected must, that. We've elected yeah. that. We put that person, we put someone in the white house that doesn't need the income yeah. and who basically travels around and does what he wants in his various little resorts. And it's hard not to, to, to bump into that. Like, is that the American dream? Is that, yeah. If I worked hard enough and was a, you know, if I was a, enough of a dick like Trump or something and bullied my way forward, that too could be mine. Is that like mm -hmm. part of the promise with Trump? I mean, I just wonder, like I'm talking about on a kind of a, in an unconscious way. Um, even if mm -hmm. you hate Trump, why is it that you hate, hate him so much? Right. Is it, does he all, is there something also very attractive about him? You know, yeah. and about most what people with their achieved. conscious minds would say no, but it's like, but when you when you look at something that's like, uh, when you see a person, and I see, and I feel like we're talking on, about Trump now, which is going to be millions and millions of people. When you see millions of people fixated every single day on somebody's every move, yep, it's different, right? Because there's plenty of people to hate mm -hmm. in the world. There's plenty of disgusting human beings, but we're not fixated on their every yeah. Yeah, and this is why I think Jung, Jung can be helpful because, so according to Jung, the shadow is what we don't know about ourselves and if accused would flatly deny, mm -hmm. which is an interesting way of putting it because if I go around saying the one thing I know is that I'm nothing like Trump, then, and if someone accuses me and I say, nope, that this is the one thing I know, I'm mm -hmm. flatly denying it then there's probably some at least shadowy material hanging around in there. And I think that's part of, you know, someone like him, he's, it, it's, he's, he's kind of a caricature in a way. 
and hooks people on either extreme. There's no way I'm like him or everything that he says, both of those are kind of shadowy things. Mm -hmm. Like one can be a golden kind of projection, the other can be a kind of sinister projection. And I think as long as we allow Trump to be the bigoted racist that I hate and there's nothing, in no way am I like him, then we end up letting ourselves off the hook. I mean, um, and that's like, the, that's like shadow work 101. Why does this hook me so much? Why am I so incredibly angry at this person's tweet? It's irrational. I don't know him. Mm -hmm. it may, it, this tweet may or may not even affect me in any concrete way. So why am I so filled with rage of, well, what? let's look at that. Let's look at that. Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm going around saying he is a racist, he is a racist, he is a racist, I might want to take a look at ways in which uh, I am too yeah. racist. <laughs> Yeah. and don't want to get near. And if I can put it on him and scapegoat him, then, I'm, then I feel better about myself. So. Um, it's a really angry face that you make in that it is. photograph on your driver's license. It is Have a very this? angry face. It's this very is, Irish this is like, mob. This is, this is Trump's Twitter, the little 200 by 200 pixel Twitter picture. That's, that's like the look that he has. On his own, real Donald Trump. Exactly. It's like stern, for like looking into yeah. the distance, gonna get there with mm -hmm. determination and strength. Yeah, um, but that's what I mean about a spiritual revolution. I mean, I, I don't know how to achieve this personally. I don't even know how to promote it. But uh, I hope for a world where we're finding ways to stop this scapegoating business that mm -hmm. he is the problem or the Republicans are the problem or turn it the other way around. Obama's the problem, the Democrats are the problem. Just that is the problem. The fact, one of the problems that we just, um, that seems to make the world more and more unsafe mm -hmm. where things like, which are very natural to human beings, things like compassion and concern for your neighbor, these are not, um, sort of special Christian values. These are these are. It's in our evolutionary DNA to to seek the cons seek the well-being of of the community we find ourselves in. How do we return? How do we wake that back up in us? Because I believe it's there. I believe it's there, yeah. and and I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I had this. I I, I started saying this thing all the time. Um, this phrase that every every morning we wake up and we imagine the world as it was the day before. So we live the day imagining the world the way it was the day before. And then every once in a while something interjects and it's this crisis. It's like, oh my God, it's not the way it was the day yeah. before. And we're always so surprised. But we yeah. don't often do the other thing, which is what if we wake up and imagine it different from how it was the day before as it should be mm -hmm. or what would be better? And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who is black, uh, African-American, has been, you know, spent his whole adult life working in social justice. And I just threw out this phrase, I said, we are both the participants in the system and the creators of the system itself. And he said, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. You saying that I got to be part of creating this system? I said, no, historically, you didn't create, say, the foundations of some of the things that you're affected by but you are participating in the system and each day you wake up 
and you imagine the system, either it's barriers or it's, you know, open doors, it's uh, the same way they were the day before. So you don't necessarily get to like wake up like Martin Luther King Jr. You can see where it goes and you can imagine where it goes. It doesn't mean that just because you woke up that morning and you saw it, it immediately changed, but it does eventually take a change, a collective sort of imagination, you know, to move in that direction in order for it to change. So if you're not imagining it, who is? And if you're not imagining yourself as a participant within it, this is what I mean by soul work. That's what soul work is. It's that the imaginal seeds of what the Greeks called your own destiny live down in there somewhere. And they're both personal and transpersonal. Not only is it possible to imagine a different world for yourself, but for everyone in your community. Mm -hmm. And that's what becoming a soulful person is, going on that kind of hunt for where did the imaginal seeds rest in the in the deepest parts of my best self <laughs> or or my own essence where are mm-hmm. they and and how how can i begin to plant those imaginal seeds in the universe and that's back to the ticker at the bottom of cnn or fox or whatever that thing keeps us asleep it mm-hmm. keeps us from believing that the present moment and the world i just woke up in can be imagined differently because i wake up boom it just takes over the, the world it's like it's like the thought that seizes your mind the moment you wake up and it's about oh god get out of bed and get this thing done mm-hmm. and the dream that you were having 30 seconds before evaporates exactly. and you can't retrieve it anymore <laughs> david white has a poem about that and i mean he says that that the day um oh, he says something like the day will make plans enough for itself mm-hmm. um but anyway, he has, a, he has this moment that you're describing exactly of waking up of, and the moment you begin to make plans, you lose that. You lose that imaginal seed yeah. the moment the machine takes over. And that's, that's like the question. Maybe that's what we mean by, what I mean by spiritual revolution. How can you both live this way and help other people break this cycle so that their own imaginal seeds can be brought forth? I mean, just... Like, and that, that is faith in human beings. And I know Mm -hmm. there are, I am not naive. There are dark human beings on this planet that have experienced tremendous trauma and, and are doing tremendous violence to the people around them. I'm not naive about people's, some people's capacity for that kind of darkness, but most people, I believe in their goodness and Mm -hmm. that they can actually imagine a world that is good for them. Like that Native American um, vision of what's good for the next seven generations. Mm-hmm. I believe that lives in the heart of every human being. That kind of, and talk about an imagination. Mm-hmm. Imagine if every single day, what you bought and where you went and who you talked to and what you read and what you put your time into, you were thinking seven generations from now. How will this affect it? That's mm-hmm. the kind of imagination that I think is possible and rests in the in the in the heart of every human being. Well, and it's and it's. I think it's also very now that we we have to start reimagining the American dream because you can't get any more evidence that it's not working. That's right. You know, yeah. and it's and 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 I mean, this is also one of those things that people you know for whom for many many generations it hasn't been working can laugh and be like, great, finally, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's like not, privileged it, white dudes like us got to figure it out that it's not working, but it's but it's it's so obvious. Yeah. And yet, but what do you? How do you? It's not working for the rich. It's not working for the rich. 
when when you put it on the level of meaning and fulfillment mm -hmm. i mean that's true yeah 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 you you can i mean you can just go into any high school in the most affluent neighborhoods in any city and see how well it's working <laughs> exactly and you see what you see is a world of numbing yeah why would you need to numb out on every drug imaginable mm -hmm. if you have and your phone yeah if and you have titillating you've already or, made it you yeah. know you're in the elite and yet your life feels intolerable yeah all right hey let's leave it at that